0: This is Daniel Fogel, and you're listening to the AI in Business Podcast. In today's episode, we're focusing on the theme of artificial intelligence in manufacturing. We're covering a variety of use cases, and we end this episode on some critical insights for AI adoption from hard lessons learned. Certainly a fruitful episode for those of you who are involved in the manufacturing space, and I think some of the adoption lessons are pretty darn transferable across industries as well. Our guest this week is Scott Everett. Scott is the CEO and co-founder at Eigen Innovations, and Scott is with us on the program today thanks to support from AI Partnerships Corp, AIP. AIP represents a network of 125 companies in AI and emerging technologies, and they serve as a matchmaker between buyers and sellers in the space. To learn more about AIP, tune in at the very end of this episode. I'll list more about them. This episode is brought to you by AI Partnerships Corp. So thanks to them for sponsoring us here. And without further ado, let's get into the episode. We've got use cases to kick off with and some great adoption lessons to learn. This is Scott with Eigen Innovations here on the AI and Business Podcast.
1: So, Scott, welcome to the program.
2: Thanks, Dan. Pleasure to be here.
1: Yeah. We're going to be speaking a lot about manufacturing use cases for artificial intelligence. Here at Emerge, we've certainly seen a lot more vendors in this space growing very, very quickly in the last year. You guys are in that mix, selling into this space, everything from automotive to pulp and paper and beyond. I wanted to begin, Scott, with what you're seeing boots on the ground as the major trends in terms of technology and the mindset of manufacturers. That's really putting AI on the map right now?
2: It's been really exciting because we've been in the space now for over 10 years and specifically working with machine learning and artificial intelligence. That's kind of an abstract thing, but what's been happening we've seen is just in the evolution of two things. I think the capacity of AI and, you know, what we've been able to use AI for there's a lot of use cases that are um, emerging for vision systems and processing video streams or we've got the the networking capacity within factories now that we can move data around and really start to develop systems at scale and the the AI machine learning is really just a tool and technique for processing the volume of data now that's coming off the factory floor So as as both of those things have uh, evolved over the last number of years, it opens up really scalable solutions, I think, that really unlock true value for the customer. So um, helping them create better product faster with less variation, create more consistent uh, production, less downtime. All of those things are really big motivators for manufacturers, and you know we're starting to see the convergence of a number of different technologies that really make that possible today
1: there's the, certainly the technology convergence element you've been mentioned you mentioned to your Scott being in this game for more than ten years. I mean this space was tremendously nascent ten years ago. Uh, we could even argue that it might be nascent today, but that's that's a lot of experience so clearly, the tech getting better is a big part of the mix. Have there been other trends in business? I know we've had some other folks talk about the impact of COVID, could be anything along those lines, that has also sort of made the waking up of data and the potential ROI of AI more relevant today than in yesteryear.
2: Yeah, I think in large part, there's just a better understanding and um, the proof of using data and really organizing your teams and and decision-making processes around actual data. People understand how to approach that, I think in a lot better way. There's been really great processes in manufacturing for problem solving as teams, you know, you've got Six Sigma, you know, all those different initiatives. And then when you can actually add hard data into that mix, you know, it it really starts to change the way that, that factories can operate. And I think, honestly, COVID created a lot of scenarios where you didn't have the consistency in your human workforce. There was a lot of disruption, obviously, a lot of change with the supply chain issues. And that type of instability, I think, really put a a spotlight on the fact that, hey, we need to be very adaptive, in how you know reacting to circumstances and so we need to use the data to be competitive right and and really how do you really get to the to the root of being extremely efficient when you've got all of these different impacts to your business got it and and so
1: some of the core underlying factors that might some of our listeners tuned in you're hearing more and more about manufacturing hopefully some of scott's ideas are making a click as to why this stuff is becoming more popular. Scott, we're going to dive in a little bit on use cases. You folks work across industries. Obviously, we were introduced to you as well through the AI Partnership Corp, who has an even wider array of manufacturing firms. There's an unlimited number of ways where AI can add value in manufacturing. But I know you wanted to start off with an example in automotive, where you have plenty of experience. Can you talk to us a little bit about the business problem at hand there in automotive, and then how AI fits in to drive value?
2: Yeah, we work with a lot of tier one manufacturers in the automotive industry, and and they're making the parts that go into the vehicles. And it's really interesting. It's an interesting time in automotive just because of the amount of change that's happening, the electrification of vehicles, you know, the, the advanced technology that goes into a vehicle and the different styling and how important that is. So for us, our specialization is is largely around plastic components and a really interesting use case with an automotive are the headlights and taillights in vehicles. You know, you have a lot more technology in terms of self-driving and, and even the assisted driving technologies and sensors that are put into vehicles. And so these are all embedded into the components now, like like the taillights and headlights. What used to be a hundred dollar headlight is now You know a two thousand dollar part on a vehicle just because of the complexity so when you have a quality issue with a component like that obviously there's a lot of value associated to a failure and for us what we do is we actually use vision system technology so putting more cameras in factories to be able to measure the consistency of that product from process to process so a, a headlight or a taillight Starts with an injection molded process. There's an assembly of all these high value components, and then it's welded together, sealed together before it's installed on the vehicle. And so, by capturing high resolution images at each phase along the line, we're able to guarantee and and really show if there's any variations at any step along that process. And really, eliminating the variation is how you get to a true kind of zero defect manufacturing state. So that's what that's what we really try and help our customers achieve is not just to detect defects that happen but really give them the the key information to prevent a defect from happening in the first place and that's really core to unlocking you know efficiency and and reducing cost and then really guaranteeing the customer that they can certify that they're producing good parts. Yeah. And I'd love to get into sort of where computer vision sort of fits into the mix
1: there. I think our listeners have a good sense of sort of what the end value is. It seems to make sense in manufacturing. You know, when we think about use cases that come up over and over and over and over and over again, Uh, we've got sort of improving efficiency and throughput. We've got improving quality. We've got preventing unplanned downtime. These are sort of the remarkably common ones. And obviously in your case, you're talking about these pieces that are becoming much more complex, where we really do... Uh, have an even higher demand to, to make sure that quality is staying strong. Talk to us maybe a little bit about what does the system look like pre-AI, and then where do the sensors, where do the interfaces sort of crop up to to inform this process and to improve it? If we could paint a bit of a mental picture with words here, that would be really handy because I'd love to
2: know how this operates in the real world. Yeah, absolutely. So for a lot of complicated assemblies like headlights and taillights, number one There's a visual component. So looking for any types of scratches or dents or defects. And pre-AI, those types of inspections were were very manual and very subjective, right? You'd have people that would be looking for these small little, little issues and one person might think differently about it than another. So it just created a lot of variability and it was to create an automated system that could actually detect those things with a high level of accuracy. And then the other component is that you actually have to destruct these parts to get a full sense of the quality internal to the, to the product itself. So what that means is they would wait until the final part was completely uh, assembled and then you take it offline and you would destruct the part and have these different measurements. So you're only getting a, a real small picture of out of all of the parts produced, what is the actual quality And with inserting cameras sort of throughout the process, now we're able to measure information and actually predict what the final quality is going to be before it gets to the end of the line. And that really helps us identify the issues and the the variations that we can eliminate so that they don't actually make bad product. So if I'm hearing you
1: correctly, clearly there's sort of the, the very low sample size where, you know, one out of every X gets dissembled and then we determine if it's good or if it's not good and if there were errors, what have you. You're saying if if cameras are inserted throughout the manufacturing process, throughout the line, let's say, I'm imagining, and, and I'd love for you to correct this image again, I'm trying to clarify a mental image for our listener here. I'm imagining cameras maybe detecting a crack or detecting... Some surface that's far too rough for you know what it needs to be you know compared to you know smooth or something like that and and these issues are detected sort of in real time so we can get a sense of what is red yellow green riding along the line as opposed to which of the one in two hundred that we take apart is red yellow or green and then maybe people can proactively go in and swap out those faulty bits before they get constructed into full finished product am, am I on the right page here or do you want to edit that mental image.
2: No, no, that's, that's pretty on point. I, you know, the thing that you're looking for, usually issues in quality are a stack up of a lot of small things. And so being able to put um, cameras in line, you're looking for those small details as a part slightly warped. Is there some sort of dent or issue? We actually use different types of cameras. So uh, a thermal camera is is something that we've used a lot which actually measures the temperature so in a welding process you're heating the plastic before you weld it together and we're we're using camera technology to now measure the the temperature of those welds so we can actually predict okay is this going to weld properly and so it's it's really these different levels of information that you're capturing along the line that allow us to truly certify you know the quality of that part and so we we think about it in terms of creating a digital twin of the product itself you're actually digitizing all of this information about the product and it gives you instead of just sampling one or two parts now you've got a complete quality profile for every single part that leaves the factory got it and I can imagine this being relevant in potentially two
1: ways. Would love your thoughts on this. I know we've got one more use case to unpack and discover, but this will be helpful for our listeners. One way I can imagine this being useful is potentially by leveraging these sensors throughout the process, we can get a sense for all those various early indicators and take stuff off the line. If it's definitely gonna. If it gets put into a part, it's going to be faulty, so we can just rip it off the line before that happens and make sure that we don't waste any more time or money. Maybe that's that's kind of number one. Number two, to your point, you just mentioned the welding. It almost seems like by having these sensors in the right place, we can figure out what is the step in the phase that tends to be leading to these errors. If it is the welding, maybe if we only took things apart at the very end of the process, we might not exactly know what step things went wrong with, but it almost feels like we'll have a deeper diagnostic ability to get a sense of what part of the line do we need to fix or to adjust in order to more consistently see uh, quality output. Let me know if I'm on the right page there, or if there's things you want to add to that.
2: Yeah, no, that's, that's exactly it. That really is the trend in the industry is how do we capture more information, higher resolution information throughout the different stages in a process, and then integrate that all together. One of the challenges I think for factory teams is they really don't have the time to, to invest in a lot of data analysis. And so just collecting more data actually creates new problems for them rather than solving it so the the power of machine learning and and the integrated data analysis is really to get to that answer it's really to get to that root cause of an issue as quickly as possible and and you know when you think about what it means to be data driven and how to really reorganize your your daily life around around data you want to be looking at leading indicators right and that's what we're really helping manufacturers is to capture information using cameras connect it to the other data that's already available within the factory and really highlight those leading indicators that allow them to to you know just work on improving the variation, like reducing the variation at the right stage so that it doesn't end up creating a quality issue later later on. Got it. So
1: yes, leading indicators, more clarity up front, And a final little question about this, because I'm personally curious, and I think this is relevant for anybody in manufacturing. Are you seeing more and more of this trend for high value per unit items? In other words, where is it usually worthwhile for manufacturers to deploy this kind of technology? Because we might have people tuned in who either are manufacturers or they work with manufacturers, and there's so many different pieces, parts, elements of of what's being constructed. In terms of where the low-hanging fruit often lies, maybe it has to do with how well vision can actually detect the errors. Maybe for some products, that's easier than others. But in general, do you see this more commonly among products that are, let's say, high volume or products that, that, let's say are higher dollar value, higher cost for an individual unit to be produced. Any commonalities there in terms of where the fit is usually found? Because almost certainly most manufacturing companies can't deploy six of these at once. What are your thoughts there?
2: No, you're, you're, you're on point because the high value, high volume, that's usually where you can unlock the most significant uh, value within the return, mm-hmm. I should say, with, within your organization. And that's usually where it starts now. The interesting thing in terms of the evolution of technology, the cost of sensors, the proficiency of, of AI and the scalability, it's making it more accessible to lower lower cost products. But for sure, you know, we look at safety critical components where there's a lot of a lot of tests, a lot of specific checks that need to happen you know that's quite a usually an involved process that has a significant amount of cost and so streamlining those quality assurance checks for high volume high values is really the best place to start also looking at processes where what you can actually affect change right there's if if you have multiple kind of connections like we we talked in our use case injection molding into plastic welding there's usually a root cause that you can you can affect and so it's when you really want to take advantage of the full opportunity, it's how do you actually integrate data across those multiple machines, multiple processes.
1: Got it. And so I I like some of the takeaways here. You mentioned high volume, high value. You also mentioned obviously places where we know we can move the needle, you know, where where AI, this kind of AI is really the right fit. And you also mentioned, Scott, if I'm hearing you correctly, looking at those piece of equipment where maybe there's a much bigger kind of risk in terms of human safety, in terms of where this is going to be deployed, where that quality is all the more urgent, 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 it sounds like it more and more validates the use of AI to, to dial in that quality because the imperative is there.
2: Yeah, for sure. And I think too, when you're relying on, especially when you have a requirement for Inspections say where you need highly trained individuals that have a lot of experience. You know, when you're starting to see challenges in terms of the workforce consistency and, and all the challenges with COVID, a system can also be really helpful in, in creating a very consistent inspection strategy within the factory. So, those are other factors that are important um, when you're looking at the value and, and the low hanging fruit. Got it. So
1: cool. So this is helpful. And I think it's it's neat to connect the dots here, Scott, because we see across different industries, often things that have a compliance component or a very urgent kind of safety component, banking, financial services, healthcare, they all have different compliance elements and whatnot. For example, obviously, in, in the space we're talking about, there's physical safety that added element of risk often makes an enterprise jump and say, okay, well, this is where it's a big priority and where we're going to deploy it. And you're kind of doubling down on something similar that I think our manufacturing audience can learn from. So yeah, so uh, I want to make sure we can get in some time for our second use case as well, Scott, you guys work in a space that is slightly different from automotive, and that is paper and pulp. Walk us through in a similar way, what is the business problem here, just for one use case that you guys address? And then where does AI fit in to add some value?
2: Yeah, so in in pulp and paper, it's a different scenario. You were dealing with you know big paper lines that are all continuous, and so you you have this basically large sheet of paper. Specialty papers is is a particular use case for ours, where these there's a number of different coatings that are applied to for different grades of paper, and so you know the application of these coatings. If you don't get it right, it actually can build up in such a way that it it can be very destructive to the equipment itself and actually, you know, break the equipment. And here again, we've used different types of cameras to be able to see what you can't see visually. So we apply thermal cameras to really get a good sense of how the coating is being applied and we can predict trends that can prevent very costly downtimes. But there again, it's the interpretation of all of that data and creating that predictive algorithm to say, "Hey, we're seeing a trend that there's a, a change in in the coding, and if we don't actually fix this now, it's going to create a really big issue that could potentially be damaging to the machine itself." Got
1: it. So clearly a different use case, but in in some regard, the way that we'd measure ROI might might not be entirely different. Talk to us about where the data flows have to be set up, whether it be sensors or or information off of machines, in order to bring that value to life? What does it look like to sort of get our data house in order to take this paper and pulp workflow and turn it into something we can actually train an algorithm
0: on?
2: Yeah, a lot of it, you know, it's, it's really starting with being able to help see things that were unseen before. And you know, in, in our instance, the type of sensor, the type of technology, there's a lot of different camera sensors that are coming out now that, that give a lot better initial data. Regular cameras, when you're trying to deal with lighting conditions, it creates a lot of variability. So sometimes these other different types of sensors are a lot more consistent. But they're again, they're very high volume processes. They're very fast line rates. And you can generate a lot of data and so some of the intelligence for us is about how do we capture key events and organize that information to present back to the operators to to truly validate and to create this flow of information i think you know when you talk about adoption the process of using the knowledge from an entire team to review the data very quickly and say okay yes this is an issue no we don't think this is an issue that feedback and integrating that feedback into the into the workflow is essential because that's what allows AI to truly adapt over time. And that's critical for making sure that the system stays dialed in to what's happening moment by moment in production. You really don't want to impact production in any way. And so the AI needs to be very proficient and, and make the right decisions at critical moments. So, a lot of it's about that data flow, right? How do you engage your human experts on the factory floor to give you feedback to make the system better? Yeah, well, and, and this is a bit of a change
1: of pace. You know, There's many industries and each industry has kind of their own challenges in terms of general categories when it comes to AI adoption. But in manufacturing, if you're working on the shop floor, maybe you're not working with folks who, you know, build things with Python on the weekends for fun, right? You might might be working with folks that are actually quite the opposite of that. So we need to build interfaces that allow that feedback loop to be intuitive for them, where their kind of expertise can really shine. Because of course, they have an extremely valuable expertise outside of data science, but we need to fit them into a data science loop. So it's a change for them to kind of be providing feedback to a machine, not just interacting with a machine by telling it what to do. How do you design a workflow where those prompts make sense, And somebody who doesn't know the first thing about building these systems can still engage with it and help be part of this virtuous cycle we're talking about, because I know the UI is such a big part of the challenge here, Scott.
2: Yeah. And it's something that I'm personally most fascinated with because we talk about machine learning and AI, but really the question often comes up, where is the intelligence, right? And when I think about how factory teams work themselves think about the dynamics of, of the interaction and, you know, you've got operators on the shop floor and, and, you know, it's conversational, right? They'll be like, Hey, this happened. And, you know, I, I, I was looking for these types of things and, and, you know, what do you think that I should do? And it's, it's this conversation between engineers, operators, quality people. And so when you think about really the, the interaction, AI needs to fit within that conversation. Right. And so, we've been really focused a lot on what is an actual insight out of the data and i think it comes down to really really filtering the information into what's truly critical for somebody to pay attention to it's very easy to overwhelm people in factories with with volumes of data but what you actually want to produce is a very simple Insight that you can—it's a story. You're, You're telling a story with the data to say, "Hey, this happened. These are all the conditions of of when it happened, and this is the validation that I need. I need you to to tell me, okay, is this an issue or or not based upon the information that I presented?" And really changing the paradigm from just displaying data on dashboards and overwhelming people with information. I think this is what's going to really help drive adoption in AI is when our AI machine learning systems actually can tell uh, a very coherent story that is very easy for people to read, understand, and then take action on.
1: Yeah, and this gets us into our final point for the interview. I was hoping we'd have a few minutes, and we do, Scott, to get into some of your advice for adopting these kind of solutions. And if you're open to it, I'd like to keep running on this idea of user interface and working with these non-technical subject matter experts to truly be, as you had said, delivering them insights and making their workflows easier, not bombarding them with data, which I also think was worded very well. We've often seen firms really put a lot of emphasis on working with the subject matter experts upfront, not only to get their buy-in, because even if a tool is brilliant, if you hand it down from the top to somebody, they'll often humans will just resist things on, on principle but getting buy-in early on, but also really getting feedback. Hey, what for you is an insight? What kind of data and ideas or, or what, what kinds of signals do you care about that would help you do your job better? How do you interact with SMEs in, and what advice would you have for manufacturing leaders that are going
2: to go through this journey? What we've seen for true adoption that's worked really well, it, like you said, it is about engaging the subject matter experts, but it's it's engaging the team. And I think that that's another thing that's been changing is there's an education within the manufacturing industry of, around the value of giving feedback to these systems, these AI systems. And so honestly, in the early days, it it starts with we've actually had uh, weekly calls with with a customer base just to ingrain that the value and importance of looking at the data, making decisions as a team. And then you're right, they really start and see the value of, hey, if I give my input here, that means the system gets this much better. And then, you know, if there's something new that that happens, interacting with that, based on that new event, you know, I can make the system react properly the next time. So I think there's a reward cycle that needs to be thought about. Mm. It's it's a cultural change in the way that that factory floor teams are working. But when they embrace that and you're able to show milestones of hey your involvement has made us this much better we've had we've reduced you know the number of downtime events or we've you know reduced the number of defective parts you really got to tie it back to that that benefit sort of the journey and why people need to invest time and why it's fun and exciting to invest time because you're you're kind of unlocking new opportunities so That's when, when we see teams and cultures within factories start to embrace that line of thinking, it really does lead to a much greater adoption, but they actually unlock some very powerful return on the investment in that technology. So it does work.
1: Yeah. And and, well, you're touching on something that Scott, we are very big on drumming up here at Emerge. And we love learning from people that are boots on the ground doing it. You're bringing up, and we'll end on this point, but I'd love your thoughts here as we wrap up you talked about the importance of really working with your stakeholders to treat data as an asset to understand that this is a culture change we say time and time again that being a catalyst for ai is about lifting the ai fluency of everybody that you're touching whether it be the smes business leadership even it when it does get to that point although you know it is sort of famously the enemy of ai in many regards but lifting their fluency is important nonetheless what are some of your final tips here if you have any around You know, because there's going to be internal business leaders who are listening to this episode who want to have their C-suite and want to have their SMEs really be able to buy in, to get a little bit smarter around the value of data and how to think about it. But of course, it's very easy to rub people the wrong way and come in like you're a professor and, you know, teach them all these new things about AI when really they just want to get their job done. How do you educate in a way that really wins buy-in at the same time?
2: It's a really fascinating question because like you said these are environments with a lot of different stakeholders that have a lot of different uh, different roles and what we see we call it the data trap like sometimes what can happen is you if you don't get the right data to tell the right stories to the right people you start to lose interest very quickly and so that's why I think there's It's important to look at the overall use case and right from day one with the stakeholders, hey, make sure that we're capturing the right information, knowing what you're trying to accomplish. What is your target? Are you trying to eliminate destructive testing? Are you trying to prevent downtime events? Do you want to push efficiency? And then really kind of creating what we call a data narrative that unlocks that end goal, so that you know how to present the right information to the right stakeholders. And there's a set of milestones. So what we would say is like, hey, this is, this is going to be phase one. We're going to focus on this data first. And then we're going to kind of progress. Uh, so they can see the progress. They can see yeah. the, the system becoming more intelligent. And they know the end goal, right? And I think that that's really, really critical when you're trying to set up a project. It's easy to say, well, let's just focus on this one small little part. Sometimes that's that's the right thing to do. But if you don't really have a strong kind of sense of where you need to end up and then go and figure out what all the data is that you need to be able to make a data-driven decision to that end, you can get caught. And then you can you can lose people's attention because you're not really getting the value that was promised. And I think that's that's been part of the challenge in the early days of AI, right? Yep. But that's the thing that's, that's really been evolving. And when we see those pieces come together, you know, it really does change the way that the factory floor team thinks about using data on a daily basis.
1: There's one nutshell point here, Scott. I want to make sure the audience takes this down as we close. One big overarching theme of everything that you've just mentioned here is that the measurement of the progress of an AI system is potentially different than a plug-and-play software system. And what you're saying is it's been your job to actually frame and tee up hey here's the phases of our unlock and here's how success will be measured along each and make sure that everybody's on the same page about that so that nobody says hey i thought we just plugged in the ai and it was going to work and then we have some some mismatch with expectation is that framing of what progress looks like in getting on the same page a take home you would want our listeners to uh, adhere to
2: absolutely i mean what we're trying to achieve with advanced algorithms is unlocking the really hard problems that exist within factory that they haven't been able to solve for decades and decades. That is going to be a journey. You're not going to solve that in a day. It's continuous improvement, which means continually reducing the sources of variation. And so identifying those sources of variation, identifying the data to measure it, and then really having a clear path of success. You're right. You're able to collectively celebrate the the wins and, and you feel that sense of accomplishment as you work through it. So it's it's expectation setting of, look, we're not just putting a plug and play software to detect defects anymore. We're actually going to use data to drive our efficiency. We're going to really push to be leading edge in terms of in our market space, we want to be competitive. So this is a journey that we're embracing. I, th- I think having that attitude and mentality is really critical for the long-term success of data-driven projects.
1: 100% with you on that, Scott. And I think that's a great end cap here for our episode. We got to go in-depth on use cases and talk about adoption advice. We got it all done today, Scott. I appreciate you being with us here on the show. Thanks so much.
2: Thanks a lot, Dan. It's a great conversation.
0: So that's all for this episode of the AI and Business Podcast. A big thank you to Scott for being with us, and thank you to you, our listener, for tuning in all the way to the end of this episode. I mentioned in the introduction here that this episode was brought to you by AI Partnerships Corp. You can learn more about them at AIPartnershipsCorp.com, or you can just Google the term AI Partnerships Corp. AIP works with potential buyers of AI technologies by helping to vet the right vendor for their needs. And for vendors, they provide opportunities for new exposure and introductions to enterprise customers. Obviously, their work with us here at Emerge is about exposure, and we're glad to be able to have Scott with us again on this episode. If you're interested in reaching Emerge's global audience, you can learn more about our sponsored podcasts, emails, webinars, and more on our Emerge Media page. That's just emerj.com slash ad1. That's emerj.com slash ad, like advertise, and then the number one. That's all for this episode. Thanks again for tuning in. I look forward to catching you the next time here on the AI and Business Podcast.